morning. It's June the 25th, 2023, and today we will continue our series of lessons in the final countdown. Before we begin, I'd like to give a special thanks to a group of listeners in Cairo, Egypt. In Cairo, Egypt. If you're listening again this morning, and I know you are, um, it is 2 o'clock in the afternoon in Cairo. I want to thank you for being a part of our listening audience, and may God continue to bless you through the lessons in the final countdown. So, today we're going to be studying our text from Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 through 2. Only two verses, but they're very important verses. We're still in the middle of a parenthetical passage that began in chapter 10. We're in the midst of a pause in the actions and activities of the tribulation period judgments. As we come to chapter 11, we've arrived at one of the most difficult passages in the book of Revelation. It's hard to understand, but keeping two thoughts in mind will help us as we continue to study these verses. Let's read from the Word of God. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, Go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. So let's look at where we are today. First of all, we know that we're on Jewish ground. The images and terminology are Jewish in nature. These verses deal with the future of the people of Israel. We're dealing with future events. Now some theologians like to take these verses and try to make them fit in the past. Some even try to make them fit into the present. It seems to me that they can only fit in the future. What we're going to study today is a prophecy concerning the future temple in Jerusalem. I want to take some time in this chapter and consider these matters in detail. So with all this in mind, let's examine John's words concerning the future temple. I want you to see that this prophecy contains some very specific visions of the future of the Jewish people. So today, let's study the Tribulation Temple. First of all, we have a vision of promise. And when John mentions the temple, he's referring to a place dedicated to Jewish worship. The Jews have been without a temple for nearly 2,000 years now. This verse makes it crystal clear that a new temple will be built there in Jerusalem. In fact, according to some of my friends that live in Israel, they have a warehouse full of everything they would need to do to build the temple again. It's sitting there waiting. A brief study of the masters here, matters here related to the Jewish temple might be in order. Let's look at the past history of the temple. You know, for some 500 years from the time of Moses to David, the people of Israel worshipped God at the tabernacle. It was there that sacrifices were carried out. It was there that the priests made intercession for the sins of the people. It was there that Israel sought their God. Before David died, he expressed a desire to build a permanent house of God, a temple where God's presence could dwell. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1-4. through 4. However, God refused him refused David to build the temple because he was a man of war. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 3. The privilege of building the temple fell to David's son Solomon. David was not allowed to build the temple, but he began to accumulate the building materials that would be necessary for its construction. Before David died, he charged Solomon to build this temple. Again, look at 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verses 6 through 19. Write that down in your notes. 
So Solomon built the temple as he was commanded by David. It took seven years to finish the building. When it was finished, it was dedicated to the Lord with a lavish sacrifice. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 63 says that 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep were offered to the Lord at the temple dedication. At this dedication, when the Ark of the Covenant was brought from the tabernacle into the temple, God demonstrated his approval of this house of worship by filling it with his glory. The magnificent temple cost an enormous amount of money to build. The Illinois Society of Architects estimated in 1925 it would have cost $87 billion. If that temple were built in our day, the cost would approach $500 billion. This temple building dominated the Jerusalem skyline until it was destroyed by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar in 538 B.C. The Jews were taken into captivity in Babylon at this time. Some were allowed to return to Jerusalem, and in 490 B.C., the temple was rebuilt. However, this temple was not as elaborate or as beautiful as the first temple had been. The prophet Haggai writes, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory, and how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Ezra 3.12 adds this insight regarding the rebuilt temple. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes wept with a loud voice and many shouted aloud for joy. This temple was also destroyed. In 168 B.C. it was desecrated by by slaughtering a sow on the altar and demanding that Anachoas be worshipped as a god. He dismantled the temple. In an effort to gain the support of the Jews, Herod the Great rebuilt this temple around 6 B.C. Herod's temples took some 46 years to build, and it was far grander than the second temple had been. It would have been Herod's temple where the Lord Jesus worshipped and preached. This temple was also slated for destruction. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 2, Jesus prophesied that the temple would be destroyed. This took place in 70 A.D. when Titus the Roman general besieged Jerusalem. During that siege, which lasted from 66 A.D. to 70 A.D., some one million Jews were slain. It is said that Titus crucified so many Jewish men during the siege that he ran out of wood to make new crosses. The roads were literally lined with crosses occupied by the rotting remains of the Roman victims. When Jerusalem fell in 70 AD, the city was destroyed. The temple was utterly demolished. At the remains of the ancient temple, all that remains is the western welling wall. Orthodox Jews go there to pray every day. They believe that all their prayers ascend to heaven by means of Jerusalem. So they write their prayers on paper and stuff them in the cracks of the wall. Jews from around the world can email their prayers to Jerusalem. These prayers are printed and taken to the Welling Wall. Currently, the Jews have no temple, but that will change in the near future. 
Let's look at the present preparations for the temple. When John mentions of the temple in verse 1, he is letting us in on the truth that a new temple must be built in Jerusalem. It might surprise you to learn that some people are already making preparations for this event. Let's take a quick look at some of the things the Jews are doing to get ready. One problem that has always stood between the Jews and a new temple is the Mosque of Omar, or the Dome of the Rock. This is the third holiest site for Muslims. It was completed in 691 AD. Inside the dome is a great rock. Muslims believe that when Muhammad ascended into heaven from this rock, conferred with Moses, and returned to earth with the prayers that all Muslims were supposed to pray. For many centuries, it is believed that the Dome of the Rock was built on the site of the original temple. It was believed that the Dome of the Rock would have to be demolished before a new temple could be rebuilt. Ha <laughs> ha! However, recent excavations have revealed that the ancient tem temple was actually 100 years north of the Dome of the Rock site. This, in this way, a new temple could be built without disturbing the Muslim holy place. Isn't that cool? By the way, the problems in the Middle East today are not political problems. They are religious problems. Every group involved in the turmoil in Israel wants control of the ancient city of Jerusalem. It is the most contested ground in the world. For the Jews, their struggle is one of survival. For the Arabs and Muslims, their goal is the annihilation of Israel. It will all be settled one day. You know, it's interesting to read that the preparations Orthodox Jews are making for the rebuilding of the temple. One group, known as the Temple Institute, is dedicated to the idea of rebuilding the Jewish temple. They've been working to prepare for the day when the temple is a reality. They have already prepared many of the items they will need to resume temple worship. You can take a look at their website at http colon forward slash forward slash www.templeinstitute.org It's very enlightening. The Temple Institute has already built the golden altar of incense, the menorah, and the table of shoebread. They've constructed most of the garments worn by the high priest. They've also produced many of the instruments used by the Levites in temple worship. The day is coming and the Jews are getting ready. They know that a new temple will indeed stand in Jerusalem someday soon. All the Jews need are the ashes of the red heifer so they can consecrate a priest. They are doing their best to breed an acceptable animal as we speak. They are also trying to find the Ark of the Covenant. They may succeed someday. At any rate, more can, could be said about the Jewish preparations for the rebuilding of the temple. But just a small amount is exciting news. It makes me want to look up. Then there's the powerful message of the temple. The message delivered by this promise of a new temple in Jerusalem is that God is not through with the Jewish people. They are still his chosen ones, and he still has a plan for them. He has already returned them to their homeland. On May the 14th, 1948, a nation that had been extinct for nearly 1,900 years was raised from the ashes. Israel became a nation and was restored to her former lands. The Jews began to return to Israel. 
Our generation has seen God's hand of protection upon the people of Israel during the wars they have fought and won against overwhelming odds. And God isn't through yet. He will continue to use them and will save a remnant of the Jewish people in the end. The promise of a new temple is simply God's way of saying, I am not finished with Israel. A very dear friend of mine whose parents were Holocaust survivors came to, to Chicago when he was around the age of 12. They came from what had been the old land of Israel, under British control. At the age of 17, my friend approached his father one afternoon and told him he wanted to go back to Israel. He wanted to fight in the Israeli Defense Forces. And he did. My friend returned home and at the age of 17 joined the IDF. By the time he was 19, he was one of the best tank gunners in the Israeli Defense Forces. He served there for many years returned back to the United States and then was drafted into Vietnam for the privilege because he was also an American citizen. He did two tours in Vietnam, returned home. And one day, about a year later, his old tank commander called him and said, Hey, I need you. I need somebody that can work the big guns on these Abram tanks. My friend said, Well, Give me about a week or two and I'll be there. His commanding officer said, well, bring whatever you can find. I don't have any guns, I don't have any boots, and I don't have any uniforms. So my friend thought for a moment, went back to his closet, dug out his old fatigues from Vietnam and his old crack boots and put those on and served about a month without a gun until he found a, a, an old Russian AK-47 in some village that they blew up that had a hole in the dust cover. He put duct tape over it and served with that weapon until he found an H&K Model 91 from somebody else that didn't need it any longer. The Jews are a resilient people. They are not going anywhere because God is saying, I am not finished with Israel. You know, if you look at the vision of preservation, John is told to take a reed and measure the temple, the altar, and the worshipers. This reed refers to a plant that grows in the Jordan Valley. These reeds grow to a height of 15 to 20 feet. They are hollow and lightweight, yet they are exceedingly strong. They are used for walking sticks. They are cut down and sharpened and used as riding tools too. They were used in ancient times as measuring sticks. A rod is about six cubits or nine feet. John is told to take the measuring rod and measure the temple. This is symbolic of two things. This is a symbol of full preservation. The art and act of measuring speaks of possession. God is claiming the temple, the altar, and the worshipers as his own. This is just another reminder that God is not through with the Jewish people. Look at Romans 11, verses 1 through 5. It's a symbol of faithful preservation. God will keep every promise he has ever made to the nation of Israel. He has set them aside for time because of their unbelief. In the end, however, Israel will be saved. God will continue to work in and through Israel until a remnant is saved. Some in our day are attempting to replace Israel with the church. They claim that Israel has been forever set aside and the church has inherited the promises God made to Israel. 
Folks, we do not want the promises that God made to Israel. The promises that we have in the church are far superior to those given to Abraham and his descendants. They will inherit the earth. We will inherit the home in glory. There's a difference between Israel and the church, and that difference must always be kept in mind when we're studying the Bible. There's a vision of punishment. While this measuring of the temple is in one sense a blessing for the nation of Israel, it also brings to mind images of judgment. The rod is mentioned four times in the book of Revelation. One is in these verses. The three others are in connection with the Lord Jesus, and they tell us that he will rule this world with a rod of iron. So while there is a vision of promise and preservation, there is also a vision of punishment. There are realities of this punishment. John is told not to measure the outer court of the temple. It is to be given to the Gentiles, and they will occupy the city for three and one-half years. These are the days of the second half of the tribulation period. These are the days of the second half of the tribulation period. This verse brings out some thoughts that need to be considered. The temple will be rebuilt sometime during the early days of the tribulation. No doubt one of the first accomplishments of the Antichrist will be to arrange a peace treaty between Israel and her enemies. He will do what no other diplomat has ever been able to do. Even today, diplomats and world leaders are trying to secure peace in Jerusalem. They will all fail. The Antichrist will bring a temporary pseudo-peace. When Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, comes, he will bring permanent peace to Israel. This peace treaty will give the Jews the right to build their new house of worship. Daniel 9, chapter 9, verse 27. The Jews will rebuild their temple and will begin their sacrificial system of worship. Once again, the Jews will slaughter animals in their attempt to keep the law of God. Things will go well for a while. But somewhere around the midpoint of the tribulation, the Antichrist will enter the Holy of Holies in the temple, and he will enthrone himself as God. This mark, this event will mark the beginning of the most intense time of persecution Israel will have ever experienced. The Jews will lose their temple, and they will be driven from their lands. They will be hunted down and killed by the forces of the Antichrist and by the rest of their enemies. You know, there are reasons for this punishment. Israel will be shown that the most vivid manner possible that animal sacrifice cannot take away sin and bring peace with God. God will allow them to build their temple and he will allow them to sacrifice again. However, this new temple is nothing more than the future further re rejection of their Messiah and the Lord Jesus Christ. Their sacrifices repudiate the gospel and reject the cross and the blood of Jesus. You know, the blood of Jesus Christ did what the blood of animals has never been able to do or will ever be able to do. Their refusal to accept the preaching of the cross by the 144,000 Jewish preachers will not go unpunished. Because they have rejected the gospel, the Jews must pay a price. They will be persecuted and pursued by their enemies. This process will serve to purify the Jewish nation and prepare them for the return of the Lord Jesus. And when he comes, the remnant of the Jewish nation that is left will turn to him and receive him as their Messiah. 
You know, I've heard some preachers preach that the Jews are saved by a different method than other people. You know, in truth, there's only one plan of salvation for all people, and it has one name, Jesus Christ. The Jews have rejected Jesus, and they will be punished as a result. Those who believe will be saved. You know, I hope that you can see from these verses that God still has a plan for Israel and also for their future. You know, I hope you can see that from current events that everything right now is lining up to ensure that God's plans will be brought to pass. You know, Israel is preparing to build their temple. They are looking for their Messiah to come and save them. Well, he's coming. But I'd like to be able to tell them that he's already been here and he shed his blood. He has paid for sin and he will save all who will call on him by faith. Everyone that comes to him. Isn't that a, isn't that a, beautiful, a beautiful blessing? A beautiful gift? You know, I hope that all of you are ready to meet Jesus. He's coming and he will be coming very, very soon. You know, if you're not saved, you can be saved by coming to Jesus through faith today. If you're saved and want to thank him for it, you can do that today. If you're not walking as close to him as you should be, then, then you can come home to him today. Folks, this thing is winding up. People need to make their preparations to leave this world. The only other example I can think of to bring right now is listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, verses 28 through 32. This is in the King James Version. 28. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. And he spake to them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, you see, and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when you see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. If you haven't accepted Christ today, I urge you to do so. He's coming. But the end time, the time of the final countdown is upon us. I don't know how long God will stay the hand of judgment. I pray that he stays it long enough for all that would be saved to be saved. But I don't have any control over that. All I can do is pray. So today, bow with me if you can. Listen if you can't. And let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, dear Lord. I thank you for this time that we've had together to look at the future of the temple. And Father, I know there are people in the sound of my voice that have not accepted Jesus. God, I just ask that you would speak to their heart and express to them the need to be saved. And Father, if there are those out there, and I know there are, that have accepted you but have turned their back on your word. Father, I just ask you to minister to them. God, help them understand 
the things that must be and help them to understand that they have the key to save others and lead them to you. Lord, we thank you for your son Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. I ask you this prayer, dear Lord, in his holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, if we make, you made a decision today, well, I'd like to know about it. Um, if you would um, send an email to ministry at christ-lives.org or visit www.christ-lives.org and leave us a message on the contact page if you're requesting prayer, please, please, please make your, your prayer known. No names escape the website. You don't even have to put your, your last name or anything for personal information about yourself other than what your condition is. It is an honor for us to pray for you. To our listeners again in Egypt, thank you. And around the world, thank you for allowing us into your home and your church. I pray that God will watch and keep all of you. Amen. <laughs>